How's it going? You'll hear it, listeners. This is Caleb, and I got a real special episode for you coming right up. Okay, what do I got for you today? Well, I've taken some clips from an amazing conversation between Adam and Peter that they had transatlantically on March 7th, 2022. Um, on this day, they did You'll Hear It, but they did a live version. So they're taking questions from community members and supporters, fellow students of music. And they got a lot of good stuff going. So I took those clips and I'm serving them up hot for you right here on this podcast coming right up next. And I hope you enjoy it. Copenhagen's in the house. That's right. I know. We're repping hard. And you're in Copenhagen. I'm in Copenhagen. Yep. Micah says, how does one learn to think ahead to play longer lines? I can manage maybe two or three measures, often starting with an enclosure. But I can't think of enclosures midstream. Why do you need to think of enclosures, Micah? That's right. So this, I think, goes to... uh, the concept that we talk about sometimes that I, I think we're, I'm a really big believer in this is like, think about enclosures when you're practicing, think about yeah. them, practice them. Enclosure is one inch, one inch across, go a mile deep, go a mile high on enclosures. And then when you go to start playing as painful as this sounds, and as much as you think you can't do this, but we're giving you license. Forget about enclosures. Don't ever think about an enclosure as you improvise and let that come out. Trust in that yep. process of your practice and yep. and just revel what it will come out and then so much more prosperous for you in terms of your improvisation when it comes out in a unexpected natural and organic way. Totally. One one thing you might try practicing with this Micah is sort of instead of the what notes should I play method? Think of the feeling in your hand method. So just think of like, if you're doing, if you want longer lines and you want to connect them so they're not just like all this, this kind of thing. Think of like, when I get to my thumb, I'm just going to make a little turn. Or when I get to my pinky going up. Now when I get to my thumb, when you're going down, like when you get to your pinky going up, when you get to your thumb going down, just think I'm going to turn on that somehow. Right. Right. That can help you to like elongate your lines because you're not just going up and down and up and down. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so the other side of this too, is that you can definitely, if you feel like you're kind of limited to, um, you know, with enclosures to only being able to start with them and you want to figure out a way to put them in, you can practice in a very restricted way. Restri- we call it restrictive practicing, but very regimented in terms of you might say, I'm only going to play like two bar phrases and I'm not going to start with any enclosures because I know how to do that. I'm just going to restrict myself to playing enclosures in the middle. And if that doesn't work, reduce it down to w- one bar. And if that doesn't work, just do it like out of time until you can find it. But like you can definitely work that into your playing, into your ears, into your fingers as you practice, I think that's a great way to do it. But then still, please, once you get to performing or practicing performing, don't worry about that. Don't worry. Yeah. Let that come out. I mean, I can. 
our friend Brian Fielding has a good point too, which is that I recall Keith Jarrett frequently plays relative short lines. Absolutely. And, and triads. <laughs> and triads. Yeah. And so yeah. you might you might just recognize here that um who's who's our guy? Uh, it Micah? Yeah, Micah. That uh, if you go and listen to like phrase length of your favorite players, they're p- playing shorter phrases than you think they are. Right. Right. And that's part of like kind of personalization, you know. So you have to kind of find what your thing is. And I think it's important too. Like we don't want to think about it's never like short, medium, long. Like it's always a combination. You know, I've been starting to think about the way people talk and the way people write, especially, I don't know, for some reason when I read something, um, you know, what they would call in marketing copy, you know, something that's well-written, it's never like five-word sentence and then a five-word sentence and then a five-word sentence. Like that's not appeal, like the rhythm of that is not appealing. There has to be some kind of like progression to it. Like, you know, guess what? I've got a fantastic story to tell you. Like that is basic, but that makes sense. It's not like, guess what? I've got a fantastic story to tell you. Guess what? That's two. I've got a fantastic mm-hmm. story. You know, so it's like you're you're juxtaposing things in, in a lot of the way that we do with syncopation in terms of like syncopation is not just you know, it's like like you have to mix it up. You have to have different lengths. Um playing off of each other in an interesting and artistic way so when you're practicing it's okay to just do two bar phrases for many courses very regiment one bar phrases three beat phrases whatever it is but in in application you're going to be taking all of these and really trying to think in a holistic way how do i want to tell my story like and listening in real time and i try to do this i'm such a better I mean, I you know what? I shouldn't ever open my mouth. I should just sit at the piano. And if people ask yeah. me a question, I should just answer it because I'm so much better at that. But I do try to think about that when I speak. Like we open studio meetings with you at the piano, that'd be amazing. Yeah, you'd be like, I want to raise, and I'll be like, boo dee boo bee boo ba boo doo ba ba boo 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 ba. I think you said twenty percent, man. Yeah, but it's like we can apply things that were less talented. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but. But thinking about and that's when, you know, when you look at the intersection of language, lyrics, rhythm and melody, when you can kind of get to these pinnacle moments, you talk about Brazilian music, Antonio Carlos Jobim, um, you know, uh, Caetano Veloso, all, all these great composers. Like part of that is because the rhythm and, you know, texture of the Brazilian Portuguese, specifically Portuguese Brazilian, I mean, Brazilian Portuguese is so exciting and like has so much of that rhythm built in when you can pair that with the words with the music with the melody and the rhythm it's just such a beautiful sound but it's never like precise it's never like four sentences in a row with four syllables each it's never like that awesome stuff the beautiful the beautiful stuff awesome caleb i want to just call an audible here we're kind of we don't we don't have a hard time out here but we are getting long in the in the we're way over here. what are you talking about way over no but dylan has this amazing question here uh which is how do you guys feel about balancing your life as a means of serving the music which i think is a way that nobody ever frames it you think about balancing life as a way to serve your life but as a way to yeah. serve the music is interesting framing dylan rubenstein had a quote about musicians living their life as opposed to living in a practice room do you all agree so I think this is a great question and something that is really important. Like the, 
the more experienced I get at this stuff, Peter, and the more like badass musicians I'm around, the more I realize that it is uh, it is about like living a life that is musical as opposed to well, there's actually this really good. Can everybody see that? Hold on. Mono neon. Nice. You know mono neon? Of course. So check out this last. This is his artist manifesto, and this happens at the end of his videos. Look at this. Look at the last bullet. Reject the worldly idea of becoming a musician. Just live music. How great is that? Yeah. How great. With tights on your head. Of course. <laughs> With tights on your head. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that Super idea cool. of that idea of rejecting the worldly idea of being a great musician and just living a musical life, I think, is the Dylan's question is pretty inspirational. And realizing that your life, like, and your art, do not have to be these boxes where I'm just going to like give up my life to be in a practice room, and that's going to make me a better artist. That's not always the case. Humanity is involved in making art, and so you have to be somewhat of an interesting human with a perspective on things to make good art. Absolutely. I, and I think, absolutely. I mean, the, the more I'm, I'm doing this, the more it becomes just a very simple truth and very much a reality in terms of we're servants to the music and to humanity, to, to humans. You know, I don't want, you know, I don't even want to overstate and say humanity, just to human beings. Like we're here to serve, just like a waiter is there to serve food that we need to, for our nourishment. We're here to serve music to people for their nourishment. And, and this, this stuff is important, you know? And so what's really, and I appreciate all you guys with the, uh, yes, I'm going to be with uh, Mark, uh, Diane Reeves in Toronto. Um, God willing, I will be there next, whenever that is next month. Um, you know, getting out here to play music, you know, from a logistics standpoint is a pain in the ass right now, yeah. but it's, but it's a small thing to like, and I almost didn't do this tour. We all almost did it just because of it, the way the world's happening and like, you know, the documentation and the testing you have to do and everything. But the thing is like, people need music all the time for their nourishment just like they need food and water just because they don't necessarily die because they don't have it doesn't mean that they don't need it you know and so our job is to provide that it's it's as basic and as simple as that and it's there's nothing grandiose about it actually so i think that i love this idea of like like we're in the practice room but there's a reason we're in the practice room. It's so that when we go out to serve people, we can serve them as as, as well as we can. And that's it, you know? Yeah, and so absolutely. it's a responsibility that we have and um, it's, it's, have it's a fun. full circle. And learn that part of your job as a musician and an artist is to make things for you that you enjoy too. And so- Yes, put that because we're, part of we need it. Because we need it as listeners, as we're playing. Have you ever seen the show Alone, Peter? That's like they send out 10 people into like the tundra by the North Pole or whatever. And it's like, mm -hmm. who? And they, they're not around each other. They're like in their own space alone. And whomever is the last person there, they can like, like walkie talkie to get a helicopter to come get them. And whoever right. is the last person that's able to hang and, and not starve to death uh, is the winner or whatever. So some, there are some people who are like avid, you know, survivalists and outdoorsmen that do really well and they're, and they fail and they have to tap out because they, they're like, I don't need to like do anything fancy or make anything, you know, I don't need to like 
draw pictures or anything like that. I'm just going to be out here collecting food. That's all I need. And they always get <laughs> always tap out and they can't handle it psychologically and there'll be some then there'll be some like woman from like oregon who's out there and she's like she's kind of hungry but she's also like making you know little baskets that she really loves and she can hang all day long like she's out almost the longest right because she's able to like feed her soul while she's doing it we need that too yeah that's so great i love it i love it your favorite jazz city My favorite jazz city. Yes. I'm going to say it again. Let me just so it sinks in. Favorite jazz city. Okay. I mean. Yeah. Oh, Lance already's jumping in. Liverpool. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I mean, the obvious answer is New York City, right? Um I've had some incredible... Is that the obvious for your favorite jazz city? It is. Yeah. I think it is the greatest city in the world for music in general, but also of course jazz. But see Nick is saying New York City hands down. Nick, I've had some nights in New Orleans. I think that rival nights I've had in New York City as far as like the power of music. We were talking about the music to feed the soul. You know, New York City is there's some heavy shit going on all the time. New Orleans, there's like the reason we breathe music is New Orleans. So it's a toss up yeah. for me. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. They get St. Louis. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah. So I'm gonna throw out Paris. Maybe that's just on my mind because we were talking about that. But I've had some I've had some, you know, transcendental experiences there with the music so but but then you talk about new orleans and that took me back to and that's the great thing about this music is like there's that intersection of in the moment at the gig in the place with that combination of people in the audience and on stage that community that whole thing that can never be replicated you know it can be done again a different version which is what's so great about it you know each experience is different but i do think that this you know the intentionality of it being at a certain place at a certain time in a certain city is what makes it so beautiful. So Baltimore, I think, I mean, a lot of great stuff is going down in Baltimore. A lot of great stuff. Austin is also legit Paris, of course, but you know, the thing is I was thinking about that New York city, New Orleans dichotomy is there's definitely the heaviest music in New York at any given moment, like some unbelievable thing. But every, every great gig I've seen in New Orleans, I feel like the rooms are packed with people who aren't musicians and it's, it's the exact opposite in New York. I feel like every gig I go to in New York, is just packed with musicians mostly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but to be somewhere where it's just the music is the, the, the smell of the city or like they're yeah. just that combined. I love yeah. it so much. Well, Kansas and the city. reason I freight. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, and you know, and I didn't, I didn't say what's the best jazz city because that's more of a debate. It's like no, it's no. This is your favorite. Your like everyone should have a different answer. I mean, it doesn't need to all. There is no right answer. It's like your city that you and I. I love somebody said, um, you know, like Joe Henderson in the Vatican City. It's like those moments that that always will connect you with a certain place. Um, Chip said, my wife and I went to New York City and saw Whitney at, at Disney Club. Best night ever. 
I mean, how do you get better yeah. than the best night? You can't get better than the best. The best until something else happens. That you know. So I think that 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 that's the cool thing, and and that's what I'm excited about with getting back to. Oh, sorry, man. No, I was saying a couple weeks ago when Benny Green and Christian McBride and Gregory Hutchinson were in St. Louis. I think St. Louis was the best jazz. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I would have to agree. Yeah. So it's not about like the best musicians from there, the best venue. It's no, it's where did you connect great? So I appreciate all you guys answer Baltimore, NYC, Boston. Don't put a question mark behind Boston. I know I've had some, some great times in Boston. The audiences are great there. Copenhagen, Montmartre for sure. And the old jazz house, man. I still miss the jazz house. Montclair um, getting a shot. Now I don't know about Montclair though. I'm mean, gonna come on now. We uh, we got a, we, actually we got a couple of Montclair people on here. So, um, yeah, De- yeah, Dexter lived in Copenhagen for a long time, I believe. There's a great picture of Dexter on a bicycle riding around, like everybody does here. Um, Stan Getz too. I didn't know that. Did you know about that? No. Where is it? Uh, there's a ton of of uh, Danes up in here, man. Yeah. Lucas is. Uh, I'll try to get some tickets for back name. Yeah. So that's. I think that's our only German day, maybe. Love to meet. Yeah, I'd love to meet up. Meet up with you too again, man. Lucas, I hope to see you there, man. That'd be awesome. Amsterdam. Okay. That that's. I've had some great. I remember playing with Roy Hargrove there and being like. Man, it doesn't get any better than this. But that's part of the reason I said Paris, too, because, I mean, I did it with Roy Hargrove at the New Morning, Betty Carter, the first time I went to Paris. You know, so it's like I always connected with that. But it's not just about playing. It was like the audience, just the, the city, you know, the whole thing, man. Wow. All right. That'll just about do it for us over here at You'll Hear It. Remember that if you like this podcast, that you got to like and you got to subscribe. And if you want to find out more, you should check out OpenStudioJazz.com where you're going to find a lot of content made by legendary jazz artists that are going to help you and your instrument grow a lot closer together. Um, Until next time, happy practicing.